What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Mariah Report. Happy MB30 season, I guess. <laughs> That's right. We got a jam-packed show this week. We got Music Box 30. And a little later in the episode, we have a very special guest, Andrew Chan, who just wrote and is releasing the book, Why Mariah Carey Matters. So we're going to have a whole chat with him later on. So stay tuned. Yeah, so much fun talking to him. Me and Dan read the book already. It's super good. So make sure you grab your copy and stick around for that interview because you're going to love a good old lamb discussion. That's right. That's right. Um, But let's get to the big breaking news slash reveal moment of the day. And it's that Mariah released and gave us all the goods for Music Box 30 here, now, today. No more waiting. Right in front of our ears. Right in front of our ears. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So she gave us a ton of stuff. If you check your local streaming service (laughs) or whatever you use, it's all on there. You can buy hard versions of it at at Mariah's store. Um, Also, by the way, real quick before we get into it all, shout out to everyone who purchased Mariah Report merchandise last week. The mug is a hot seller. It's flying off the shelf. Mine is on the way. I had to snatch one up because I know they're going to sell out at some point. So make sure if you want, go check out themariahreport.com. Check out our merchandise if you want to support your favorite podcast. Link is in the description. Yes. But, um, okay, so we've got so much, but I think we should go straight to the new stuff that we've never heard before. Right. Now, you can buy these on Mariah's website, as you said, Martin, but um, we're just going to bypass all the things we know and get straight to the new stuff mm-hmm. just to keep it concise. Mm-hmm. Okay. So- do you want to start out working hard or my prayer? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start working hard because we have okay. a few working hard moments. Okay. A bop. She gave us a bop. Absolutely. Love it. So yeah. it sound, to me, it sounds like it really would have flow, flowed very well together with the other songs on Music Box, mm-hmm. um, you know, as an up-tempo because there's not a lot of up, up-tempo on the regular Music Box. Yeah. But also... I. You know, maybe when Music Box was was being developed and created, maybe in her mind it was going to be a more up-tempo album in general and these songs got cut from it and it turned into what it turned into, which is more ballad-heavy. Right. Um, So it's interesting. It's an iconic album. Love it. Uh, uh uh (laughs) So it's interesting to hear that there were bops being made at the same time. Yes, absolutely. And... You know, it's a fun, upbeat song, but what really gets me, and you know, you think from the title, it's like she's working hard, working nine to five, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really about working hard for the, you know, admiration of a man or a lover or whatever, you know what I mean? So it's like a, a cute little twist on that. She's always looking for a boyfriend. Always looking for a boyfriend? Who isn't? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think it's fun and I think it's a cute song and the vocals on it are outstanding. Like, yeah. Just hearing her voice in this song sends me straight back to 1993. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Immediately. Yeah. Really fun, fresh vocals. Um, love the remix as well. That's a super bop <laughs> jam. I'm telling you, I might like the remix better than the the regular version. I think so. Uh, 
I, ha- I can't make a decision yet. You know, I need 20,000 million more listens before I can make that decision. <laughs> but I All really right, but like just, Okay, but based off scientific data, based on our track record of liking remixes over album versions, it's highly likely that we're going to end up liking the remix. Better. Yeah, it's probably going to sway that way, but I <laughs> like them confirm, both. Right let's now. confirm. <laughs> I really do like them both. We're still um, in study mode. We're still in um, discovery mode. Exactly, right? We just got mm-hmm. these mere hours ago. So mm-hmm. it takes time. It takes time. Mm-hmm. Don't. Well, a couple of my first impressions was that it sounds like it could be off a movie movie soundtrack. Like it sounds very nostalgic Mm -hmm. and Americana. So I can see this. Like if you told me this came off the Grease soundtrack, I'd believe it. Yeah. You know, it sort of does. It could fit into a movie. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And she was doing like movie writing in those days. That's That's how we got Hero. Exactly. Well, that would be cute. I want more of a story from the behind the story. I want more of the story behind this song. Yeah. Because why did you leave this off? Right. Like who? Like it's so good. She gave us some in, like, I don't know if it's across all the um, streaming apps, but in Spotify, there's like little video stories that are posted and she is sort of explaining how they came about. And she was just talking Uh and she mentioned how she found the lyrics and it just wasn't quite finished or something like that. Um. But she liked it still, so that's why she dug it up and, and revived it. So, uh-huh. yeah, I'm curious to know the back, the whole backstory. Like, how far along did it come? Did it make the album and get cut off at some point? Sort of like right. Love Takes Time got cut off and then put back on or whatever? Right, Or wasn't right, on right. and then added? You know what I mean? Yeah, like you more, know. It's more history. Yeah, I want more history behind it. Yeah. Um, I want to know why I'll... she was in the vault for so long. That's well, that's know. the real thing. Like, because here, you know, because we just had the rarities. Like, yes. oh my God, I would have loved if this was on the rarities, but then we wouldn't have it now. So it's good that we have it now. But you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. what else does she have in the vault? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But I love it because it gives us new stuff to look forward to. Right. So I'm down. Give me all of it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever you want, Mariah. Not, not now. Um, okay. So I think, I think an instant fan favorite already is working hard followed by the next new song my prayer which we got love it absolutely love it i think mm-hmm. i even like it more than working hard because you know i love a little bop i love a little dance i love all of that mm-hmm. but i also love a good ballad mm-hmm. absolutely love a good ballad and this is like very good because it's ballad, but it has like sort of like, you know what it sort of gives me a little bit of um, uh, forever from Daydream because it almost mm. has like a whoppiness to it, but there's like jazz to it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Mariah starts it really slow, you know, very vocal forward. And then mm-hmm. by the end, she's just throwing it all in your face. And it just takes such twists and turns through yeah. the structure of the song that it makes it so uniquely Mariah. Another, yeah, another great jam for us to investigate and study and dive into. You know me though, like, you know, when the, the rarities came out, I didn't really hang out in that part of the album. Right. You weren't there for the all I live fors and all of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm having fun, but I don't know if I'm going to like hang out for long around here. <laughs> I'll be hanging out for a while because I think even though like, 
you know, working hard is great. I think my prayer is my favorite of what we're getting here. Mm-hmm. You know, like we have like the extended version of all I live for and the extended version of anytime you need a friend, all that kind of good stuff. But like mm-hmm. my prayer is where it's at for me right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. That's where mm-hmm. I'm at. I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. Loving it. Yeah, it's good. I mean, there's good stuff. She gave us goods. Um, okay, so she also delivered a bunch of remixes as well that we've heard here and there, but now they're just like accessible in one place. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the next um, big thing that she gave us is we've got um, live at Proctor's Theater, uh, HD and available on digital. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Love it. She already HD'd some of the videos and now Mm -hmm. we're getting the full uh, concert here on digital. Mm -hmm. And uh, honey, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. It's so good. It's like that is a very iconic, you know, especially after reading Mariah's memoir. It's a very iconic moment in her career. But it's Mm -hmm. also like it was iconic for the time too. like everybody tuned into that Thanksgiving special. Mm. It was big. It was like the must-watch TV of the night. Mm-hmm. So to have it, you know, sort of reemerge here uh, in all its good glory, mm-hmm. loving it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Uh, do you think this is all we're getting or there's going to be more celebrations? Well, I think there are more celebrations. We're gonna we're going to get um, you know, the mini doc behind the scenes, the mini documentary of the making of music box. That's gonna come out, I believe, next week, the twelfth mm-hmm. or the fourteenth. Um, and she's dropping other little nuggets as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so keep our eyes open for those things. But as far as music, I think this is what we're what we're getting. Yeah. Also, what about how she gave us a more fuller version of the cover art with her arms involved? Oh, it's yes. It's not the close-up yes. of her face. The uncropped version, which is beautiful. Because I was sort of worried because when you go on MariahCarey'sStore.com, um, yeah. <laughs> it, only shows, it shows like the, like the very, very cropped version. And then there's uh. like a border around it. And I was like, how come you're not doing the full photo? Because mm. that's what's like really significant, especially for the LP. You know, mm. she's selling a, a four LP of the Music Box 30. And I'm like, I want that full photo there. You know, I need it for the visuals. Mm-hmm. But apparently that is how they're going to come. They will come with the full photo if you buy the physical ones. Mm-hmm. They just not are not showing that apparently, allegedly. Okay. Don't quote me. Um. <laughs> Well, yeah, for that. We would love a new photo, but not. (laughs) Right. A new old photo, like the full thing. Two is in full. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Okay. I think that's what she's delivered for us today. So it's going to be a fun weekend, at least, (laughs) digging through this stuff and listening to it all. I might even try experimenting starting at the top and running the whole thing. Yes. Now, okay, because that's what I did. Okay. But here's the thing. So over on Apple Music, you know they have the um, the Dolby Atmos. Oh, yeah. What do they do? So it just sounds better and fuller and all these things. Specifically, the Butterfly album sounds really good in yeah. Dolby Atmos. But like, so the regular Music Box album is now in Dolby Atmos. Oh. But not, but not the Music Box 30. 
The only gotcha. thing on Music Box 30 that is Dolby Atmos is working hard. So, Interesting. Yes. It's, so it's very strange because that's how I had to listen to it last night. I was like, okay, I have to go over here and wa- listen to the regular Music Box in Dolby Atmos. And then I have to switch over to Music Box 30 to listen to the rest of it. You know, because I want to hear Music Box in Dolby Atmos. That's interesting. Sounds confusing. It is very confusing. It was very confusing to me. And then I had to learn how to figure it out. And I got it. (laughs) But (laughs) if Working Hard is in Dolby Atmos, is it connected to the other one? No. The regular album? It's It's just separately on its own. Exactly. Yeah. It's sort of the same thing she did with Butterfly 25. Like the regular Butterfly album is not in Dolby Atmos. Or the regular one is in Dolby Atmos, but Butterfly 25 is not in Dolby Atmos. Interesting. It's strange. Don't ask me. Please don't ask me. I have no <laughs> answers to no questions. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I think that's the recap of Music Box 30 so far. Yes. The, those are the highlights. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be jamming out to Mariah all weekend. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, but we are going to come back with our very special guest, Andrew Chan, and we're going to be talking about why Mariah Carey matters. Yes, he wrote a book all about it. <laughs> all right, so stay tuned for that. Okay, guys, uh, we've been teasing it for a minute now, but we're super excited to welcome our guest. He is the author of the new book, Why Mariah Carey Matters. And please give a welcome to our guest, Andrew Chan. Welcome to the Mariah Report. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Martin and Dan. I'm so happy to be here. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, You know, the Mariah content has been sort of thin these days. So thank you for delivering us some entertainment and something to read. (laughs) Mariah based. (laughs) It was all for the Lamely. That's right. Let's not forget that you are part of the Lamely. You know, up, down, in and out, all around. Listen, I I have been part of this community. I I talk about in the book, and maybe I don't explicitly say this, but maybe you can get a sense that for so many years, being a fan, starting as a fan in my youth, like from, I would say, how old was I when Daydream came out? 1995. So I was nine years old, right? Um, Most of my Mariah fandom from when I was a kid was really private and uh, individual, insular, in in sitting up in my room, listening on my headphones. It wasn't like I was surrounded by a ton of people who were really passionate about her, even though she was all around us, right? Mm-hmm. She was everywhere. She was one of the biggest stars um, mm-hmm. ever. Uh, but I didn't feel necessarily a part of a bigger fan community. And now, actually, a friend of mine I just got home and I got this present from a a lamb friend of mine who made this wonderful like LP replica with (laughs) why Mariah Carey matters and a picture of us on it. Just, you know, the creativity of the lambs, including my friend Rhea, who I want to give a shout out to who sent me this present is knows no bounds. So I love being a lamb. I love um, how in my, in, recent years I've been able to connect with other people who are just as passionate about her and sometimes have different opinions, different ways of listening to her, different songs they love, different eras they Mm -hmm. love. Obviously 
you can see in the book that this is very much my perspective and my own opinions, what I value, but I love talking with other friends and other lambs about what they love. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's sort of why we started this podcast many years ago, because, you know, the lamb needs to have like, you know, other lambs to talk to, or at least to listen to, or at least to read a book from, you know? Yeah. And Andrew, to your point, like in those day in the daydream era, the internet wasn't what it was today. So you didn't know those other lambs out there (laughs) in the world. No, and I was nine years old. Right, so exactly. <laughs> yeah, and um, there are in the book um, moments where when I refer to other fans, other lambs who almost were mentors to mm-hmm. me in not just the the adoration of Mariah, but in just our diva love in general, you know, when it comes to other great women singers. Mm -hmm. So that was very uh, formative and influential for me. But I think um, it it hasn't been until really my moving to New York, being in my adulthood, my 20s and 30s, that I've met so many wonderful lambs. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first chapter of the book is called A Call to Worship. So I'm sort of curious because everybody enters the Mariah world in a different way and they, they connect or gravitate towards her for different reasons. So I'm wondering, like, for you, what was that moment where you were like, oh, this person is special? Yeah, I mean, I, I it's amazing that we're celebrating Music Box 30 because I know that my very first memory, I don't even think I mentioned this in the book, but my most vivid first memory was the Thanksgiving special. Yeah. I saw it um, on TV. I remember hearing her saying, anytime you need a friend and hero, I must have been uh, seven years old. Mm-hmm. And I, I was in love with Whitney Houston at the time. So I'm going to be honest and say, and there's, it's not an either or, as we know. We, we're friends. <laughs> the we're fandom. all friends with Whitney. We're yeah. all friends, in, in both incredible vocalists. You know, I don't think we have to choose no. one, but um, I, I came into kind of pop consciousness with I Will Always Love You as the mm-hmm. gateway, right? Uh, my dad my dad and my mom are Chinese Malay- from Malaysia. And so growing up, I was listening to a lot of Mandarin and Cantonese pop divas, Teresa Tang, uh, Paula Choi, um, a lot of gr- wonderful Chinese singers. But I would say Whitney and the I Will Always Love You Bodyguard moment was my entree into diva worship. Mm -hmm. And then quickly after that, in 93, there was the Music Box era and then seeing her in that Thanksgiving special on TV. Like, what is this voice? And of course, at the time when you're six or seven years old, you don't have the words to articulate what is happening to you on like a cellular level when this incredible voice is working on your Mm -hmm. ears. Um, uh, But I'll never forget that. And the first album that I owned um, that my parents bought for me on CD was Daydream. And so that was really special. I was living in Malaysia at the time. And I just had... I remember that entire year because those um, three major singles, uh, Fantasy, Always, um, Once We Day and Always Be My Baby, were just everywhere on the mm-hmm. radio. 
And I think that was really the beginning of a deepening of my relationship with her. But I will say, so that was, that was the beginning. That was the gateway into the fandom, but it's been up and down and, and not always the smoothest path. I'm not going to sit here and say that I was always a lamb from beginning to end. There were, there were eras when I was less interested. Mm -hmm. There were eras when I, you know, faltered Mm -hmm. in my, my love for her wavered. Um, I will say that since emancipation of Mimi, it has been um, total love and interest and devotion mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> since 2005 onward. Okay. Yeah. Um, Where were you during that. the glitter era? <laughs> you know what? I didn't see glitter. I, I'm going to be honest. I did not see glitter when it came out. I was in high school and I had fallen off. Okay, let's you fell say. off. I, I, I had fallen off. I didn't even buy the album. I, but that's not to say I didn't love Loverboy. Okay. I thought that was a fantastic song, but it took me years to get around. It took me until 2005 Emancipation to listen to the Glitter soundtrack. And then I was like, lead the way? Oh my <laughs> God. Like just stunning. And, and then the dance tracks. I mean, it's a fantastic yeah. album that I'm so glad got its justice that it deserves. Yeah, it gives um, you something like you, you skip that little era, but like it gives you something to go back to and sort of visit mm-hmm. in a whole like way where it's like oh wow I, what have i been right. what have i been waiting for um, exactly speaking of glitter moving a little forward in the book i really find it interesting how you touched upon sort of the rainbow era and the glitter era of how her image sort of really changed with that and being yeah. you know a young queer boy how yep. that affected you because i think i went through the same thing like i was fully into mariah like loving everything but like i was a, there was a little trepidation going to the record store and buying such a girly looking album absolutely i you know i when it comes to the lamely i was a little nervous about that chapter because i'm i'm pretty honest in the book rainbow has never been my favorite album but I am absolutely fascinated by how this became her kind of camp queer moment, her coming out as a queer mm-hmm. icon. Um, and that's when she really began to cultivate it. It's not, not to say that she didn't have many legions of gay fans before, as many divas do, but this is where she almost declared, in not so many words, but at least visually, her devotion to our community. Um, first by naming the album Rainbow <laughs> and hiring David LaChapelle to do that image. Um, and But I think it is in- interesting the trepidation that we felt as young fans about the visuals that were attached to that era, the um, homophobia that we probably were experiencing in our um, environments and the internalized homophobia that can cause us to disassociate from this diva that we love, who is starting to, you know, signify um, uh, and resonate with this particular identity, especially if we're trying to keep that Mm -hmm. hidden. And so I think that's kind of a profound thing to, and uh, um, maybe a scary thing to talk about as, queer lambs um where you know there what there 
for many of us, at least I'm speaking for myself, there was a moment when we began to uh, have some trepidation about declaring our fandom to her when she was so clearly becoming a symbol of queer queer worship but do you think that she was intentionally trying to be trying to solidify herself as a queer icon or we were interpreting it as that it's hard to say i mean i i can't because she doesn't really talk about this in the memoir right right? and please correct me if i'm wrong she doesn't come out and say i am trying to solidify my relationship with the lgbtq fan base Mm -hmm. It could have been subconscious or it could have been completely unconscious and we're projecting onto it. But, you know, at that point, I think we can say she's embracing a kind of high femininity, as you as you said, high femme identity. Mm -hmm. And she's playing with with gender expression, you know, Mm -hmm. on her own terms in a way that she wasn't really able to when she was in the turtlenecks and the long dresses with the long sleeves that in the Tommy Mottola mm-hmm. era. And so that in itself, even though she's not a queer woman, that, you know, brings queerness to the fore, not as her own personal identity, but just as a kind of gender play. And I think maybe that's what we respond to um, if, uh, if we are, you know, queer lambs, we're seeing someone who's bringing a kind of gender performance to the foreground mm-hmm. and um, especially a kind of femininity that um, as, when in our youth, we're taught to mm-hmm. fear. Um, and I think that is partly why Mariah has become such uh, among the great divas of that era. She has, I would say arguably the strongest relationship with her queer Mm -hmm. fans. I'm not going to discount Madonna or Janet, you know, but they come a little before her, but among like the big, the big voice divas of the nineties, you know, Mariah seems to stand tall as the one with the, the biggest or most significant queer fan base. And I think part of it has to do with that. You know, the way she was playing with gender and foregrounding almost the and flouting and and kind of um, being very cheekily defiant Mm -hmm. in the way that she was um, playing with gender iconography and stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, quite. um, It turned quite campy, her look in those days. But also essentially like almost in a non-queer way, coming out of the closet. She was this conservative singer for a long time and then revealed herself all of a sudden. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. One of my favorite parts in the book is one of the images, the daydream image, and how you, you know, reference the photo shoot for that and how it really represents the album, if you really, like, think about it. So, like, that was the last thing and then came Butterfly and then she became to get like the daydream photo is very sort of stoic sort of very like hard not hard there's a softness to it of course but then butterfly comes and then rainbow so it was almost like this gradual sort of right absolutely yeah there's i love the daydream imagery the black and white the the hardness the stoicism the like the statuesque kind of monumental presence of it Um, and the darkness to it too and the darkness, I say, it is a bit strange because the album is called Daydream. So you're starting to think, oh, it's, it, there's something romantic and and um, 
uh, it's like a heated, passionate reverie, but actually the imagery is is quite stark and it really ties it um, very much thematically to Looking In, which is the last song on the album. And this is really a very dark period in her life. It's pre the divorce, pre the separation. She's locked in Sing Sing, and yet the music is so exuberant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the most exuberant songwriting and singing that she's done in her career. Um, but yeah, and, and then with butterfly the imagery changes and it becomes more fleshy and more she's almost is more palpable um you you have that like amber color to the background and you know she becomes almost like a palpable presence to us visually um but yeah i i love that you note that um the the sort of shift and evolution visually um from daydream to rainbow yeah, well, it it comes from after reading your book. Reading the book really made me think so many different things. Of course, I've been loving Mariah for many decades and certain things that I would never put together the way in which you had. And I found that fascinating because you don't come across that type of thinking when it comes to Mariah. Everybody always, you know, talks about the music, the voice, this, right. that. It was like more introspective of like who she is and how she's representing herself. It's very fascinating. I love the book. <laughs> Thank you so much. That means so much to me. I, I'm, I have to be honest and say, I respect, <laughs> I respect the fan base so much. I respect Mariah so much. And so, because this is my first book, I, I'm anxious. I'm nervous about what people are going to say. I think people can love it or hate it, you know, it's people's right to disagree with it. But I I felt that I was coming from a place of love in everything I wrote. And, um, but I never wanted to um, discount the complexity of what her experience is and also the complexity of her work. You know, there's been ups and downs. There have been challenging moments. And I wanted to reflect that, Part of what we love about her is uh, because we've lived through that with her um, as fans. And it's not, she's not, um, as I say, at one point, there certainly are superstars who can be super women and, um, you know, girl bosses and fit into that kind of heroic archetype. What I love about Mariah is the vulnerability from day one. And, um, and with a, an artist as special as she is and as hard on her sleeve as she is, there are going to be stumbles and there are going to be moments where um, we almost uh, wonder what direction she's taking. But um, the music has always kind of spoken for itself. I mean, caution speaks for itself. Uh, I listen to the stuff from the past decade almost more than the earlier stuff and part of that maybe is just because I've been a fan for so long and I know the earlier stuff so well but um you know I talk to people who are not lambs and the assumption is that post emancipation the music hasn't been as good and I don't know I I think elusive shantus is amazing uh-huh, yes. I think I I think candy bling which I write a whole page on is one of the best songs she's ever done, you know, even the stuff that she hasn't released, like the memoirs remixes. Um, mm-hmm. 
someday I hope those see the light of day. Um, I was putting together a playlist for uh, the first book event in Brooklyn and it was hard to whittle it down to just six hours, but I was like, okay, for people who are not lambs, I need to like really condense it so that they will actually engage. But I was just thinking, why is a hundred percent not on Spotify? Yeah, why? <laughs> you know, like a song like that, or um, I feel it, you know, this, uh, the, and as we've seen with uh, music box 30, she's got more stuff in that vault that to satisfy us for years to come. Yes. So, um, and she's still creating new music. Uh, so when that new music comes, I know it's going to be, you know, interesting because she's never less than interesting as a musician. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Andrew, I want to talk about the actual creation of the book. Like, tell us what went into mm-hmm. it. Um, it's been put out by the University of Texas Press. Is this part of an academic journey that you're on? Like, how did it well, come about? So I- Yeah, so I am not a scholar, and this series that it's a part of that University of Texas Press puts out is called Music Matters. I was familiar with this series because a professor named Karen Tongson had written a book on Karen Carpenter called Why Karen Carpenter Matters. Mm -hmm. And I loved that book. It was very eccentric. It was very personal. It's not like a standard biography in any way. There's actually some fantasy portions and memoir portions And it really kind of guided me to this series as a home for this project. I've been writing criticism, arts criticism, for many years. Um, Actually, my background is more in film. And I've written film criticism for, for several years, and that's what I would call my home base. But I've also, over time, built up some writing on music. And it's all um, because I don't do it full time, I only do it when I feel really passionate. And one of the primary themes that I've sort of been working through over the years in my writing is great singers, primarily in the R&B tradition. So I've written on Aretha, I've written on Otis Redding, Marvin Gaye, and uh, I see Mariah as kind of my gateway to that tradition. Mm -hmm. Without Mariah, I don't think I would have discovered or fallen in love with Aretha or Patti LaBelle or Gladys Knight. You know, all these uh, singers, incredible singers that she introduced me Mm -hmm. to. And I, so I, uh, during the beginning of pandemic, I wrote a piece for NPR on the rarities. Uh, And I that was my first time writing on Mariah. I kind of... You know, Mariah has been such a huge part of my life, but I kind of wasn't really itching to write on her because partly because it's too personal. It's too close. I I didn't really know if I could stand back a little bit and do what I think a critic must do, which is find the right middle ground between really personal and intimate and also deeply analytical, thoughtful historicizing the work, contextualizing the work. I wasn't really sure that I wanted to do with do that with mm-hmm. Mariah. Maybe I just wanted to keep it my fave and you know not have to break it apart mm-hmm. like that. But after I wrote the NPR piece, I thought um, there's more here. I didn't really get to do everything I wanted to do in the context of that short review. So I um, pitched 
I, uh, I pitched my proposal to uh, University of Texas. They accepted it. And over the course of a year, I wrote it. And um, I knew this was going to be really fun because for everything that I do know about Mariah, knowing the discography up and down, backwards and forwards, that's not an issue. But um, the research that I had to do about the background and the context and everything that was influencing her and feeding the, the artistry uh, was something, was work that I had to do. And also how to put into words what she has meant to me and what she as a symbol of what great singing can do to the listener, Mm -hmm. how great singing works on our hearts and our ears and our minds. Um, That was a challenge because in the world of music criticism, I hope it's, uh, you know, I, I think other music critics would say this is fair to say there isn't a great emphasis on singing and the art of singing. Now, of course, we know Mariah is more than just a singer, but to me, that is, that's sort of something that I had to grapple with was the, the greatness of, of the vocals. And there isn't a, there aren't a lot of models for that kind of writing. There aren't a lot of models for how to describe how singers do what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so bringing together my analysis of vocal style with my research on house music, gospel music, things that I was not an expert in, weaving that together into something that would make sense and be fun to read for people uh, was definitely a fun challenge mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. I think I think your personal stories and the way you connected it connected Mariah to you. I think that's what helped what makes it fun to read as the fan was sort of experiencing get through that lens with you as well because we mm-hmm. probably have similar stories uh, or um, see her yeah. the same way. Yeah, I mean, music is such a profound and sometimes transcendent uh, thing, and. It can be, I, I think the purpose of music criticism is to help us explain what is happening when we're having these transcendent experiences. Mm-hmm. And to me, Mariah represents a certain elite class of singers who are able to achieve um, the sublime mm-hmm. just with their instrument. You know, there aren't, men, there aren't that many. I can name, you know, m- maybe on one hand, Aretha... I would say Jasmine Sullivan among the, the younger singers. But I think uh, it, there's, it's hard to understand what's happening sometimes, especially if you've been loving an artist since you were a child before you really had language to describe what was happening when you were first hearing outside or, <laughs> you know, close my eyes. Mm-hmm. So this was really an opportunity for me to dig back into some memories that, Honestly, I had not thought about <laughs> probably since childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Because you do in the book go sort of chronologically through through her career. So you yeah. started sort of when the beginning of her career and go all the way through. But also what I love is the way in which you describe her voice. You know, because of course, I, I, like I said, we've all been listening to her for years, but the way in which you do sort of describe how she vocally 
sing certain songs like Outside or I think Can't mm. Let Go and, and or even Vanishing, mm-hmm. how you put that into words for someone like me who doesn't have the vocabulary or even the thought process of alone to like put it there. You really did such a great job and it was mesmerizing to read. And again, oh, thank you. To, um, I'm going to, you know, tell everybody that's how she sings. thank you and i will say you know that uh, you can't do too much of that in the book because i realized you know i could analyze every performance right right. i I, you know i would have written a whole page on lead the way and the run at the end of lead the way i would have wanted to but you know there's only so much that a, a general reader can take so i realized okay I really need to figure out what are the elements of style that I want to want people to pay attention Mm -hmm. to and then find the songs to back up my argument. And also I will say, um, I did, I definitely realized in the process of writing the book that I was writing it as kind of a failed amateur singer myself. So for me, listening to Mariah has always been tinged with a yearning uh, for what I can never be, you know? And I, I don't say that tragically. I say that as, you know, how many of us could ever be as great a singer as that? But I think that's that. literally everybody because nobody can sing like Mariah, even. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, but I think for me, it, it, that's a very uh, palpable uh, feeling, even from youth, mm-hmm. you know, wanting, like studying her runs, studying how does she hit those notes and how does she move between the breathy and the belting mm-hmm. those little technical, like delicious elements of her style that make you pay attention mm-hmm. that make you want to put your headphones on and just like roll that back. I need to oh hear my that God, again. I've done it a billion times. <laughs> and that's why I start the book talking about these YouTube uh, fan accounts, which I wish I had them at my fingertips so that I could shout them out. But um, there are so many that um, this is almost a new, this is a new way in the digital uh, modern day that we live in of listening to her. Because back in the 90s, it wasn't like someone was making videos, analyzing, oh, this is the F5, this is the G5. So when I encountered those videos, they um, kind of, uh, yes, they're sort of breaking down the notes. I say that there's kind of a danger to that because that's not all singing Mm -hmm. is. It's not, you know, just doing the most extreme things. Um, It's also about the middle. It's about how you move between Mm -hmm. registers. But um, I really was... Uh, mesmerized by those videos because within them I saw this desire to listen really closely and figure out what is going on here. What What is the magic mm-hmm. trick? How is she doing it? And I think for me, as someone who has always been really passionately interested in singing, uh, both for myself, and both doing it and listening to it, um, never measuring up myself, but always kind of hungering to be better, to see what my voice could do, to express myself in that way, good or bad. Um, I think there's definitely that uh, uh, 
anyone who reads the book will be able to tell that there is that yearning, that hunger of someone looking up to an idol, wishing that I could do what this person mm-hmm, does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, I, you see most young female singers nowadays emulating Mariah to no end because she really has yep. changed, um, you know, expectations of what is for a female singer, what is to be expected. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not, um, it's not just high notes. I mean, people had done whistle notes before. Minnie Riperton, as Mariah herself will say, um, it's not that she was doing something. It's not that any individual thing that she was doing was completely unprecedented. Mm -hmm. It's more her tone, which is completely, um, distinctive. You hear (laughs) one second of her, sing and you instantly know it's her that is what can't be replicated really um but it's also how she she weaves together these different approaches these different techniques these different stylistic elements into a style that um just sounds like heaven on our ears um the way she weaves together that really breathy almost fragile tone with the powerful, explosive belting high notes with the whistle, with the rhythm, the hip-hop cadences. I mean, it. the more I talk about it, the more obsessed I become. Join, join the club. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, because it is, it is, it is from heaven. It, it, it's the closest thing that I can think of to um, a, a portal to the sublime, which... I think, you know, I was a little self-conscious writing this book and how much I talk about a kind of spiritual Mm -hmm. dimension. I'm not a religious person. I I don't follow any um, religious dogma. or I I haven't gone to church in many, many years, though I did grow up in it. Um, But uh, it is because of singers like Mariah, like Aretha, uh, Donny Hathaway would be another one for me, um, that... Uh, you feel an instant connection to something greater. And I don't know what that is, but it, the goosebumps are enough evidence for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you also in the book talk, you talk, you bring up what I find to be interesting. And it's like the complexities of a, a singer's voice outside of their body. So like what happens to it? in the world people want to own it sell it take control of it um it always becomes you know other than from the than the person who possesses the voice yeah so you sort of so you talk about that on like a grand scale like what happens to it in in the world and but you also talk about what happens to it privately and in intimate situations that same voice i want to read um the the final paragraph from the first chapter because i really loved it so much one of my favorites. Um, yeah. So <laughs> you say in... Uh, you want to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you said in... This is the end of A Call to Worship. So I was 10 or 11 when I first heard Outside, and I didn't, didn't realize I was responding from the outside of the song. As a Chinese-American falling in love with Black American music... As a nerdy, closeted gay boy projecting his life onto a glamorous, hetero-feminine, hetero-feminine idol, 
It wasn't until years later that I'd find poignancy in the collision of social realities. But when I was young, I felt the connection to be intimate and private, from her heart to mine. Mariah made my outside feel like an inside. I knew if a voice were a place, I'd call hers home. Mm. Yeah, It doesn't get any better than that. Like, I get goosebumps just... When I first heard oh that, it was, it was magical because I, I feel that. I know right. that. Thank you, guys. And, yeah. I, I'm, well, I think yeah. as, like, also as, as like, um, like you mentioned, Andrew, like, I remember Daydream, like, being in the house and playing it nonstop. And I remember Hero when it was out on the radio. So I think this idea of her voice feeling like home is sort of it's what connects us to our childhood now, to those memories, to, like, this time that we're never going to get back. But mm. we still have Mariah's voice to anchor us in those, in those memories, in those moments. So yeah, intimately, I, but then you also, there is that, yes. uh, everybody has an experience with Mariah too. And it is a commodity. It is being sold. It is a business. Like, there's, it's, there's so right. many elements to it. I think I'm so glad you have read so attentively and smartly and even are making connections that I wasn't necessarily thinking of on a conscious level. But yeah, I, I do talk about how a voice is commodified and it becomes a symbol mm-hmm. once you sort of attach genre markers and oh, this sound becomes representative of Mm -hmm. this. You know, it becomes corporate because she is Sony's priority artist and she's, you know, being backed by Tommy Mottola. And, you know, all this background context then becomes attached to this pure sound that you can then no longer hear as just pure sound um, because um, it is... it is sort of caught up in a network of cultural associations. Mm -hmm. And so I think what, um, to go back to those YouTube videos that sort of analyze her range note Mm -hmm. by note, what I was sort of trying to understand was how do we get back to that place of just hearing what that sound was almost as if we are Mariah virgins who, you know, have never heard her before. What is it like to just experience that sound and the shock of the new um, as if we've never heard it Mm -hmm. before? Um, but there is also something paradoxical about it, which is that, as you say, and as, as I say in the book, that um, there is an intimacy to the way she sings and to our relationship to her music that can kind of make all of the, all of that context, all of the noise of the industry, all of the noise of stardom, uh, and the illusions of fame melt away to quote her own song. Um, and it is one voice, one set of ears. And to me, that is as much as I love the Lamely, as much as I love the community around Mariah, at the end of the day, it is one singer and my ears. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's a very direct communication. And I really do believe that it is, it's the greatest singers who do that, who, who can be the biggest superstars. And yet the minute they open their mouth, they are drawing you in, um, into a very deep and intimate, uh, relationship, mm-hmm. um, which is why, you know, we don't have to meet Mariah. We don't have to know her personally, but 
what we are experiencing between her and us is a human relationship as strange as that sounds you know we we are strangers and yet we have exchanged something that is deeply human and um undeniably emotional Mm -hmm. so um when she says that uh she loves the lambs and and that the love of the lamely is you know one of the significant loves of her life like that that makes sense Mm -hmm. to me because she also talks about how music has saved her Mm -hmm. life and so when we when in her awareness of how her music is saving our lives and has saved our lives i think she sees an image of (laughs) her young self um for whom music was a lifesaver Mm -hmm. as well absolutely Another thing about Mariah's voice that you touch upon is how, you know, your casual listener, someone who doesn't have like those connections that we have as Lamely, where it really does touch us. A lot Mm -hmm. of like the casual listener might think she is just somebody who is um, conveying a message or conveying a feeling, but she does so Mm -hmm. much more than that. Like, the way she writes songs, but also the way in which she sings them conveys them in a way that there's, there is feeling behind it and it Mm -hmm. makes it so much more special. Yeah. And not just emotional feeling, but sensory (laughs) feeling. Like I talk about how she, uh, with her voice, she's making a kind of sonic environment. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a world that she's, building like you you listen to a song like the roof and the way she stacks her vocals and there's a dimensionality uh to the song and i don't want to knock other divas because uh i don't think it needs to be a competition and it doesn't need to be compare contrast but i also do think you know as a critic you do sort of have to see place contextualize the artist and with her peers and see what is she bringing to the table that other people aren't? And I think we can, I think it's safe to say that not a lot of artists were doing Mm -hmm. that. Um, It was kind of, uh, you know, with Whitney and Celine, also phenomenal singers, but it was very much the lead vocal in the foreground. There were some backgrounds there, but with someone like Mariah, where the stacks were so intricate, Mm -hmm. And she's she's mixing tonalities and she's kind of um, creating a sensory, almost um, tactile world with her sound um, and layering her vocals in the way that she did. Um, I think that's so mm-hmm, unique. Mm-hmm. And um, there were other people who were doing that afterward, like Brandy, for, uh, of course, is... Um, amazing with her vocal stacks as well but um i would say the kind of three-dimensionality that we get with um mariah's vocal stacks and her use of uh harmonies background vocals um really takes it to another level and makes it uh not just emotional feeling but you know you can almost feel the voice on your skin yeah yeah i love how like i love that language you use how she creates the sonic (laughs) environment because that's what she does and it creates her songs and the language that she uses mixed with her tone and, and inflections and the stacked layers, it Absolutely. does create this image in your head. And to the roof, I remember 
vividly, I had been listening to that for years and years and years, and then maybe like five, six years ago, I think we have to ca- capture the mm-hmm. moment somewhere on this podcast, but I had it on in the background one day. I was like cleaning, doing something, and just like my brain all of a sudden went, wait, is she married in this song? And it just clicked. <laughs> like she's not saying it, but something just clicked with the way she was singing the lyrics. I was like, hang on, wait, I think she's still married during this song. And previously, yeah. I thought she, it was post-marriage. And so to right. fast forward to the memoir, she tells us the actual story. I was like, wow, that, that, commu- that got communicated through the song somehow to me. Right. Yeah. The message, it might not even be explicitly in the lyrics, but you can tell that there's something forbidden, even just in the choice of the mob deep sample. There's something, I think she even says foreboding. Um, She did that genius uh, interview. And I think the word she used was foreboding about that particular um, shook ones uh, part Mm -hmm. two sample. Um, It sounds dark and ominous. And then you've got that sexy, very sensual uh, vocal and lyric on Mm -hmm. top. She's a genius. When in it comes conclusion, to, yes. In conclusion, <laughs> she's a genius. Come on. Like, why do, I mean, it's kind of, I felt a little type of way about the title, but of course the title is like just the convention of the series. And I was like, why do we even need to explain why she matters? She matters. Yeah. Like, I'm, she just like, does. Let, yeah. Let's not be silly. Come on. She matters. But I, I mean, I do realize that a lot of people do need this explanation. So um hopefully they'll hear us yes yes i hope so <laughs> because well here's another thing you know everybody thinks oh mariah is a great singer mariah is you know if you know you know mariah is also a great producer songwriter all these things but another thing she's yeah. i think she's really mm-hmm. genius at is sampling other music let's talk but, about talk it about it <laughs> Absolutely. I was actually doing an, another interview and it, the interviewer asked me, what are your favorite, um, what do you think is her best use of sampling? And I was like, I mean, where do I even begin? Uh, the, roof, the woman the is a genius. <laughs> the Roof, um, Tom Tom Club, obviously you have the famous examples yeah. like Tom Tom Club uh, in Fantasy or uh, the Emotions Blind Alley in Dream Lover. So those are obvious examples. But can we also talk about her interpolations, like the use of pure imagination mm-hmm. in the remix for I Still Believe? Mm-hmm. Come on now. That is that, gen- <laughs> that takes genius. Who thinks <laughs> this woman is so creative beyond like it's and she's not afraid to be weird. That's what I love about her. She's kind of a weirdo in the way that geniuses are. And I love it. I live for it. Um, the choices um sometimes seem off the wall mm-hmm. and yet they make complete sonic like GTFO. sense that's that sample felt off the wall but works perfectly yes absolutely yeah and it just becomes um it doesn't feel contrived because she knows how to uh she knows how to work it and she knows how to turn it into something distinctly her own yeah. and i will also say i i say this in the book that the more I started to listen to her samples and interpolations and the more I started paying attention, I love how personal they are because um, she's not just choosing, you know, the classic soul. Uh, I mean, we love those kinds of samples as well, but um, she's choosing stuff that's a little off the beaten path that she loved from the eighties. And I'm not, not a ton of people were going to, 80s one and two hit wonders mm-hmm. and sampling them yeah 
but I love that she casts a spotlight on overlooked R&B artists. Mm -hmm. And that's really where, you know, um, not only were the mid and late 90s a coming out for her as you know, a sensual woman, a queer icon, but they were, and a serious artist in many ways, but also they were her um, coming out as an R&B hip hop artist. Mm -hmm. You know, she had been thought of as adult contemporary pop for so long. And through her use of sampling, you know, sampling Stacey Lattisaw, DeBarge, Loose Ends, all of these 80s R&B artists who were known but never had like huge pop crossover success. You know, I think there's something going on there. She's sort of stitching together a history of the genre um, and shedding light, um, shedding spotlight on artists who, you know, did not get the benefit of a huge corporate push that Mm -hmm. she did from the beginning of her Mm -hmm. career. And I think that's really special. I think it shows that R&B for her is not just some little fad that she's playing with. It's something that she's been attentively listening to with the devotion of a fan since her mm-hmm. youth. And it's in her bones. It's in her, it's in her soul. Um, and so sampling isn't just, I, I think people who, you know, maybe uh, don't understand hip hop, um, we're not in the hip hop generation, don't understand the creativity and the kind of reinvention that happens with sampling. Mm-hmm. There, there's an obsession with pure originality when it comes to this idea of what makes a great songwriter? Oh, starting from mm-hmm. scratch, completely everything's original from top mm-hmm. to bottom. But as we know, um, African Amer- African American music has from jazz and the blues to R&B to hip hop has always been very referential mm-hmm. um gospel as well you know taking an old hymn and kind of reinventing it with improvisation um that that's a very um foundational part of uh black american mm-hmm. music so uh Mariah is participating in yeah. that uh, with her use of sampling. I also think because she has the skill of songwriting, she probably hears these sam- these songs and can and then can come up with some lyrics in her own head. So it makes sense to use the yeah. sample to go with the lyrics she just thought of. It all it all connects. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I was listening to one of my favorites is "My All Stay a While" uh-huh. when she uh-huh. uses uh, uh, that incredible. I mean, seamlessly blends these two songs. Her own song with a loose end song. It, it's just so magical mm-hmm. what she does and seamless. She does it so often. It's it's really seamless <clears throat> and effortless. It's like, yeah. how did you yeah. even think of this? That's why I call her a musical genius. She's a musical encyclopedia. Yeah. She's an encyclopedia. And and I don't think you have to be to be... A, there are many different kinds of musical genius. This just happens to be her a part of her particular right, genius, right. but her referential, her referentiality. I mean, you even see it in concert, right? When she's just doing ad-libbing acapella and she's just like, she starts <laughs> a song, you know, I, I stumbled on some, um, 
a video, this bootleg video, maybe you've seen it too, because I'm sure we're all watching the same like videos that have like a hundred views on them. <laughs> but there was a video from the Rainbow Tour where she was singing X Factor uh, by Lauren Hill. And I was like, oh, that's just so good. And it was just because she was ad-libbing and she was, um, she was just saying like, it could all be so simple. And she just sang, <laughs> sang a bit of that song and so she just, um, it's, it demonstrates that she thinks in mm-hmm. music. Yes. Absolutely. She's, she's not just someone who receives the song and can sing the hell out of it. That's great mm-hmm. too. But, um, her, her brain is just wired for music. She thinks in melody. She thinks in harmony. She thinks in, in vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a beautiful thing. Don't need to tell us. Yeah. <laughs> Preaching to the choir. Yep. But but just going off of the sampling, um, also, what do you think about um, the cover songs that she does? Because you mentioned it in the book, mm-hmm. and you, you yeah. sort of put a lens on it of like, oh, this is Mariah telling that same love story but through sort of the eyes of female heartbreak, you know? Yes. And cause she's often choosing like male rocker yeah. songs, From- like without you, yeah. Yeah. uh, bringing on the heartbreak, mm-hmm. um, open, without, arms. open arms. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, against you know, all odds. her version of open against all odds. Exactly. Um, I want to know what love is. Uh, so, I, I do, this is, you know, a very, just like kind of a throwaway sentence in the book, but, and I almost wish I had explored it further, but I think it it comes in a passage where I'm sort of talking about the prejudice against ballads. Mm. And we know that Mariah was known as a ballad queen for a long time. She sort of came to resent that a little bit, um, partly because Tommy Mottola, uh, conceived her that way and sort of just wanted her to keep on writing the same kind of ballad over and over and over. Um, so I understand why she kind of bristled at that. I, you know, if I was an artist, I probably would too, but, um, she's also such a master at that form. Um, and, you know, I really love how she chooses these songs, um, that show this kind of continuity with um, or, or sort of this connection or breaking down this barrier between uh, masculine expressions of desire and longing and feminine expressions. Um, it is kind of in music where um, men get to express that side of themselves, mm-hmm. straight men. So I, I think... Um, that's another area where, you know, gender play comes into the equation, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and, and also, it shows her, her range and her taste. You know, she, she was listening to rock. She was listening to pop yeah, rock. She's all um, yeah, she, she uh, beyond R&B and hip-hop and pop, which are her sort of home base styles, I mean, she, she loved other kinds of music as well, so... And covered covered these songs beautifully. I mean, honestly, I listen to her open arms way more than Journeys, and that's not to take anything from Steve Perry, great singer, but <laughs> that that acapella 
intro that she does. I mean, I can't listen to that song without her runs on it. I'm no, sorry. I know. Well, we always joke that when Mariah covers a song, it's now hers. Like, there's no other yes. version that's good. <laughs> Absolutely. Why else would I? I mean, why else do I want to listen to that yeah. song? Yeah. But you yeah. take you. She takes these great songs that are already like you know great big hits. Mm. Everybody knows them, and then you think, well, this is as good as it's ever going to get. And then she takes it, and it's like a whole nother level. And we're like, genius. I mean. I'll be there is I I don't write about that, but um, I really think it's one of her best vocal performances from that period. I, I would say like from 1990 to 1993, she sounds amazing on that song. And um, I love the different versions of it too. I, I love the Madison Square Garden version with Wanye <laughs> <laughs> and the way she changes it up. And, and I love that she always sings it in, in almost every tour. She's sung it and she always sounds great on it. Um, yeah, and that's, that song, when I was younger, I didn't know that it was a Jackson 5 uh, song originally, but that was always one of my favorites. And I, I love when she sings, I'll be there to protect you with an unselfish love that respects you. I mean, it just pierces my heart (laughs) the way she sings that it's, it's really beautiful. Love that. Love that song. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Andrew, I think we're coming to the end of our time with you, but you are going on a book tour. We wanted Mariah to go on a book tour, but she didn't didn't give it to us. You're doing it instead. I know. It's COVID time. (laughs) Yes. And I I will be there for the Lamely. We'll get into it. Um, I'm I'm excited. I have never done something like this. This is my first uh, book. So I've never, this is my first book tour as well. And I'm really excited to be talking to some really great music writers who I admire Lindsay Zolads, who's a pop critic at the New York Times. She's going to be doing my first event um, at Greenlight Bookstore in Brooklyn uh, next Thursday, um, September 14th. And um, Brittany Spanos from Rolling Stone. Um, yeah, I'm going to, I can't rattle off all the names because I'm going to forget someone, but there's a lot of great writers. And I hope that uh, the Lamely will come and check us out. I definitely Absolutely. think they should. I'm going to be at the Los Angeles stop. So all you other lambs, let's do it. Can't I cannot wait. You are just amazing for writing this book. I've been waiting so long for something like this. Thank you so much. That Hearing this from two lambs really means so much to me. Um, it, it's actually quite emotional hearing this because I, I have some friends who've read it who um, some of them are lambs and some are not. And part of it is, you know, they're my friends. Okay. They're, they're going to be nice. Be yeah. really kind, <laughs> kind about it. And so I'm almost like, whatever, you're just saying that. But, um, you know, the lambs are honest. <laughs> and I appreciate that. I appreciate that they don't BS. So um, if I got it wrong, you know, they, I'm sure they were going to tell me. Listen, uh, but got it I, wrong on this podcast sometimes, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and the thing is, uh, Mariah's catalog is vast. Her legacy is so multi-layered that we can all. There's room for a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different opinions, different favorites, and different non-favorites. So I think um, this is, I see this as just one, uh, one way of hearing her, one way of looking at her legacy. I do hope that 
there will be other writers in the future who will bring their takes as well. Because even just sitting here with the two of y'all and hearing the way you hear her has enriched the way I hear mm-hmm. her. Uh, well, like Oprah says, everybody inside a family is having a different experience. So this is your this yes. book is your experience with Mariah. <laughs> yes, but we're all in the family, yes. so we can relate and understand. <laughs> Yes, I'm just glad that y'all got something out of it and enjoyed Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And the book is out now. Where can we find it? It is actually coming out. The official pub date is uh, Tuesday, September 12th. Okay. And you can find it wherever you buy books. I would encourage you to buy it at your independent uh, local bookstore. Uh, but it is, yes, it is available from University of Texas Press um, on a hardcover. Uh, starting September 12th. Cool. And y'all better get the hardcover because it comes in a cute pink. It's so adorable. Oh, I love it. It's a a hardcover book. Come to the sleeve. Tell us about the photo choice real quick before we go. Okay. Now... Talk to us an hour later still talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) I um, initially asked them uh, for... Asked the publisher for a photo from the 90s, Uh uh, from the mid-90s, from the Daydream Uh era. Um, because of the sort of significance that we had just talked about earlier in this conversation. But when I saw what they came up with and the sort of like pink and lavender tint that comes with, with that green on, it's um, good. I didn't, I mean, I didn't come up with that. This was a designer. So kudos to that designer and whoever found that photo because she looks gorgeous. She looks triumphant. And I think, um, as a friend told me, a lamb friend told me, this is way better than putting something from the 90s on because it shows the longevity, it shows the mm. triumph, it shows the resilience, and it shows the breadth of the career. And so I really applaud University of Texas for finding that photo and uh, making it look great. It does look great. And Dan, I want to confirm with you, is this a caution tour? This is a caution tour. Caution absolutely. tour. Okay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> proceed with caution (laughs) i like how you just said that though it shows that you know she has a huge career 30 years 30 plus years and you can still Mm -hmm. find gorgeous photos of her like that doing what she does absolutely yeah i mean come on if i could have used a photo from lovers and friends and that amazing whatever it was that she was wearing that looked Uh great yeah yeah. Um, okay, Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. We've loved talking to you. We could talk for hours, but we better not. Yeah. Clearly. I'm sure we will we will um encounter each other again. I will see you in Los Angeles and we will continue to chat all things Mariah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Likewise. Likewise. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Andrew Chan. Such a great time with him. So make sure you get the book. The link is in the description. Check your local bookstore to see if they have it. Even ask the bookstore if they have it. That way they might order Mm -hmm. it. You know, Mm -hmm. get the business flowing. Yeah, and if Andrew Chan is coming to a city near you, you should definitely go out um, and uh, attend his book. Tour discussions, yeah, because because here's the thing: we just scratched the surface with Andrew Chan. There was mm-hmm. so much that we didn't even really get into, because again, you know, when you're talking to a good old lamb, you could talk for hours upon hours. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait to see him here in Los Angeles, and more Mariah talk. Love it. 
Absolutely. And a fun little Mariah outing to get out of the house. Go do something. Yes. There'll be lambs there. There'll be people who read there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there. Um, okay. So keep an eye out for that. Get yourself a copy. Everyone's going to be broke by the end of this episode. We've got so much stuff to buy from Mariah, the Mariah Report merch store. We've got Andrew Chan's book to buy. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> um okay so stay tuned for that and as always if you want to support your favorite podcast the mariah report head over to apple podcast and leave us a review or hit the five star button on your podcast app also if you want to help us out financially you can always go to our merch store themariahreport.com or you can join our patreon community over at patreon.com slash the Mariah Report and sign up for five bucks a month. Cancel anytime, no strings or anything like that. International as well. People people from around the world have joined and you get to interact with a fun Mariah friendly community over there and you get tons of bonus content now. There's so much extra footage, extra stuff. <laughs> Videos. Awesome. Videos, talking random things, cursing people mm. out, all the fun stuff. And actually, if you sign up, there's a secret Patreon discount code for our merch store as well. That's right. Over there. All kinds of goodies. Uh, yeah. So that's it for this week. We're going to keep tracking this story. Um, thanks for hanging out. We'll see you soon. Bye.